0: Thank you, Donna. Blue Dome, Carrie? If you will direct your attention to the stained glass window right up here by the pulpit. It's one of the great windows in the sanctuary of the Beatitudes. The depiction is of the Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan has wrapped his arms around and bandaged up this innocent man who was left by the side of the road to die. And the scripture passage comes from the Beatitudes and it reads, Blessed are the merciful, they will find mercy. I love our friend Anne Lamott's definition of mercy. She writes, Mercy is radical kindness. Did you hear that? Mercy is radical kindness. Mercy means offering or being offered aid in desperate straits. Mercy is not deserved. It involves absolving the unabsolvable, forgiving the unforgivable. Mercy is radical kindness. Share with you just a couple tales of mercy. The disciples are in a boat on the lake. Jesus has stayed behind the hills of Galilee to do some praying. It is the middle of the night. A storm has come up and the disciples are somewhat afraid. But as they look out in the water, they become even more afraid because they see someone walking toward them on the water. Something that would freak you out. And as the figure comes closer, they recognize that it is Jesus. Immediately, they are convinced that Jesus has somehow drowned, and this is his ghost walking on the water, and so they are petrified. But Jesus calls out to him and says, It's cool, guys. It's just me. I'm coming on board. To which Peter, man, I give Peter credit for this one. Peter looks out through the through the rain and feels the wind against his face and he looks out at Jesus and he says, if it's you, Jesus, tell me to and I'll walk out to you. That's courage, isn't it? And Jesus says, come on, Peter. And so Peter does. I'm wondering what it's like for Peter as he steps out of the boat. You know that, you know that place where you're foot dangles above the landing when you're stepping down and you're not sure you're going to hit it. I'm wondering if when Peter is thrown his leg out of the boat and it's about to touch the water, if there's any part of him that says, what have I gotten myself into? Well, it's Peter, so it doesn't matter. He goes on. And he goes into the, the water and he discovers that he is standing just like Jesus is standing in the water. Uh, now, the water is choppy, the wind is blowing, it's in the middle of the night, and Peter feels the water splashing against his legs, but Jesus has bid him come, so he comes, and he keeps moving out towards Jesus, and as he moves, the waves continue to hit, and, and I don't know if you've ever been at the ocean or at a lake when the, uh, when the water's coming in and all of a sudden there's a big one. It wasn't there before, but then all of a sudden, they've been okay, and then there's just this huge one that hits. I think that's kind of what happens to Peter. He's walking out towards Jesus, feeling pretty good about it, breathing hard, a little nervous, but he's got it under control, and then some water slaps him right in the face. From the, from the wave, it just hits him. And in that moment, he realizes where he is and what he's doing and he panics. Lord have mercy on me, he yells as he's going down. And as he's going down and his arm is up, Jesus grabs a hold of him, pulls him up out of the water, and then helps him safely to the boat. Mercy. Peter didn't drown because Jesus was present and grabbed a hold of him. Mercy. Now, when I look at what Peter did, first of all, I, in, I give Peter tons of credit for this, this amazing bravery. And I also realize that Peter, like all of us, sometimes bites off more than he can chew. Have you ever been in a situation where you say you'll do something and then right as you're in the midst of it, you say to yourself, this is something I can't do. And you want to bail, but you're too far in to bail. I have a water story. It, I was six or seven years old. And I was at the swimming pool, the, I think it was the one on, on Middle Road in Bettendorf, Iowa. My brothers were there, and my friends were there. And, and uh, I couldn't swim very well yet. And they were all going off the high dive. And the high dive was, you know, 700 feet up or something. And they were all going off and having a blast. And I thought to myself, how hard can this be? You climb up to the high dive, you go to the end, you jump. You hit the water, you go under, you swim underwater to the side, 20 feet, 30 feet. How hard can that be? That is my thinking. And so as my friends are going up the ladder and jumping off the high dive, I get in line. And they say to me, Meet, you sure you want to do this? And I say, absolutely, I've got this under control. And so I climb up the ladder, and I get to the top of the high dive. Now, you know there's a regular dive, and it's for normal people. And then there's the high dive. Did I tell you it was 700 feet in the air? Something like that. And I'm up there. I can remember this pretty vividly. And I'm looking over... And I'm thinking to myself as just a child, oops, I have put myself in a terrible position here. And I have one of two choices. I can turn around and walk back and climb down the ladder in shame, or I can jump, hit the water, and swim underwater to the side. I can do this. So I get out to the edge of the diving board and I stand there and I look. 700 feet is a long way down. And I just look and I think very seriously about the first option of going back and climbing down the ladder. But in one fell swoop I say to myself, have some guts and I jumped. And I hit the water and I went under and I forgot how to swim underwater. I just panicked, so I came up out of the water burbling and blah, 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 and a lifeguard had to jump in and pull me to safety. And I remember the rest of my day, the rest of the day, my friends making fun of me, and my brothers mocking me. But fortunately, the lifeguard had mercy. On me. Mercy is extended to those who are in trouble. It's not necessarily trouble that we've caused, or it might be. It's not necessarily trouble that we have done something terrible to be in, but sometimes we just get ourselves in trouble. Am I right? We all find ourselves there, in a jam, don't know what to do, crying out for mercy. Mercy is radical kindness. And blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. There is another tale of mercy of which I want to share with you, and it's the one from where the Scripture comes today. It is the story of David, King David, fairly young as a king, and he is at his palace, and he is up on the roof. And as he looks across the courtyard and into the city, he sees something that catches his eye. And what he sees is is an attractive young lady who is taking a bath. Now, David has gotten used to being king, and one of the things about being king is you get what you want, and you don't really have to answer to anybody, or at least that's what you think. And so David, he sees this woman, And he decides that he wants her for his own, and so he makes that happen. And after it's over, and after she goes back home, David begins, nah, he doesn't. I was going to say David begins to feel guilty, but I don't think so. He's king. He can do whatever he wants. But then, a few weeks later, the word comes to him that the woman with whom he had sex that evening was pregnant. Her name was Bathsheba. And so now David begins to panic just a little bit because he's now going to be the father with this woman, this stranger, who he met on a rooftop. And she's married. And her husband is one of the warriors in his army. And her husband Uriah comes home. In fact, David calls him home. David calls him home when he finds out Bathsheba's pregnant. This is this is kind of brilliant. David calls him home and he says, "Uriah, you've been fighting so hard. Here's what I want to do. I want to give you a weekend pass. Why don't you go to your wife and just hang out with her for the weekend? You all know what's happening here, right?" The thought is that hopefully Uriah and his wife will have relations and then David can say, oh, that's who that baby belongs to. But Uriah thinks of his men back on the front line. And he says to David, I won't do that. I will just sleep out here on the sidewalk all weekend and then I'll go back to my men. And so David is so frustrated and so confused he doesn't know what to do. And so when he sends Uriah back to the front line, he sends word with Uriah. This is what stinks so much. Uriah, take this sealed envelope and give it to your commander. And in the envelope is the letter that says, make sure Uriah is at the very front of the line. And Uriah goes to the front of the line, and soon he is killed. And David feels like he's gotten away with the big one. He starts to develop a relationship with this with his Bathsheba, and she's going to become one of his wives. And David is feeling good about everything until the prophet Nathan stops by one day. You guys know the prophet Nathan? Prophet Nathan isn't afraid to talk to kings. And he walks into David, and he said, Here's the scenario, David. There is a poor man, and he has one sheep to his name. There is a rich man who has a thousand sheep and can buy as many sheep as he wants. But when it came time for the rich man to have a dinner, he took the poor man's sheep and slaughtered it and fixed it for his guests. And when David hears this story, he is just furious. How could this rich man do that? How could he take such advantage of the poor? And so he says, tell me who it is because I'm going to take care of them. To which Nathan says, you, David, are the rich man. And perhaps for the first time through this entire scenario, David's eyes are opened to what a scumbag he has been. And his heart breaks. And Psalm 51 is the song he wrote, the song of repentance that he wrote as part of this ordeal after Nathan has come to him and he has been caught. Have mercy on me, O God. O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Lord, I'm so sorry. I need your mercy, your radical kindness right now in my life. Wash me thoroughly, the psalmist writes. David says, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. I have been a terrible person, O Lord. Please, O please have mercy on me. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and put a new and right spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain in me a willing spirit. It's a beautiful prayer. It's a beautiful prayer of repentance and confession. I have one problem in the prayer, and I didn't read it here. I think it was read earlier when David says, Against you and you alone have I sinned, O God. No, that's not really true. David sinned against a lot of folks in this scenario. Um, But he is king, and so that's the way he thinks. But he says, O God, have mercy on me. And here's where mercy gets tough for us. We love the idea of radical kindness. We love the idea that God would reach out to us in a jam and pull us up. But in this moment, as this man who has done terrible things cries out to God, he seeks mercy and he discovers it. Mercy is sought and given even in our worst moments. And we're glad for that for us, but not always for others. Because in their worst moments, they should have to suffer some for their terribleness. But here's the thing about God's mercy. It is beyond mercy. God is merciful beyond merciful. God's mercy is radical. God's mercy is complete. God's mercy reaches into the worst of us. touches us. Mercy is radical kindness, and remember this, blessed are the merciful. That should be you and me, for they will receive mercy. Amen.